You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome to the Hog Beat Hour. I'm your host, Mason Choate, joined by managing editor of HogBeat.com, Andrew Hutchinson, and recruiting expert at Hogbeat, Alex Trader. Guys, happy to have you along. Happy to have all of you listeners out there. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave a thumbs up if you don't mind. Um, if you don't like it, don't do it. But I don't see why you wouldn't like it because we're, I mean, we do a great job. Andrew Hutchinson, Andrew Hutchinson does a great job. Alex does a great job. And Hogbeat as a whole does a great job. But let's talk some basketball, guys. So we're going to start with basketball today and then we're going to move into uh, a little bit of football. Um, as most of you probably know, it's a slow time for football. And then we'll talk baseball, get you set for the Round Rock Classic. And uh, we'll get you on your way. So, uh, guys, Arkansas beats Tennessee and Bud Walton. Um, as always, some of you might be thinking that's old news, but for us, our last episode came out before that game happened. So, let's just mention it. Arkansas wins 58-48 over Tennessee in Bud Walton. Um, real quick, Hutch, just takeaways. I know you got there at halftime. Um, I was actually there for the whole game, but I, I want to ask you because you're the expert just – big takeaway from that game well I, I can't imagine it was a very aesthetically pleasing game to watch uh if you are one of those people that like to see points scored uh because it was as you said 58 48 not a lot of points uh but it just kind of shows you that arkansas has been playing elite level defense uh, tennessee has been a really good defensive team as well uh, but you were able to do just enough and uh, got got the job done uh, you also got it done, I believe. J.D. Note fouled out late in that game. I think they had to play the last, I don't know, three minutes or so without him. Uh, and that, that, was, that was kind of a scary thing. Like, oh, can they hang on without, without Note? Uh, and they, they did that, and they honestly were able to win by double digits in the end. So really good win for Arkansas. Another quad one win. That's just going to be massive for uh, the, the, the NCAA tournament resume. Helps you with your net rankings. And also it's, it helped you with your AP ranking. You know, you went from 23 to 18 uh, based, basically based off of that win. I don't think they really got much of a boost from the, the blowout win at Missouri, but uh, just a, a really solid win for Arkansas in, a, in a, another top 25 showdown at Bud Walton Arena. Yeah, we won't sit here and spend a whole lot of time on Tennessee, but a few things that I, I did want to mention was, Hutch, you mentioned the Note fouled out. Um, and you've seen the, the play of Devontae Davis go up. He's continued to get better. We'll talk about that more when we talk about the Florida game. Uh, another thing that uh, was interesting was at the end of the first half, K.K. Robinson came in for a few minutes, didn't really do much, um, but that, that was an interesting thing. So it, he, it seemed like he, with Note in foul trouble, uh, Robinson was the third guy off the bench, um, of course, behind Davis and Chris Likes. But I, I'll bring Alex in on this one. Arkansas held Santiago um, Vescovi to only seven points, and he was 2 of 13 shooting. So Arkansas continues to key on on the opponent's best player, and they defend him really well. So, I mean, that's got to be key for a team moving forward, Alex. Yeah, you know, I also tuned into this game a little bit late, and I, I, I saw that he was kind of being held to nothing, and you really are just like, you have to be proud of what Eric Musselman's defense has been able to do um, for this team in the last couple of weeks. It's really just, like you said, locking down the other team's best player. You, you want to go in and especially against these top teams, you can't let their best player beat you. And the, the secondary and the tertiary pieces aren't doing it for the Tennessees, for the, the Auburns. Um, and, and that's really a testament to how, how well the defense is playing as well as, you know, just not making as many mistakes as we saw earlier on in the season. It looks like there's more synergy. It looks like the team is able to kind of play off of each other and, and has an identity versus what we saw maybe a little bit earlier on. All right, well, let's move on to Florida because that is the most recent thing. So Arkansas defeated Florida 82-74 to in Gainesville on Tuesday night. First time to do it since 1995. Hutch, you had a few cool little tidbits about this game. Um, I, I'd have to go back and look at your story, but I assume that you know some of them off the top of your head. 
Yeah, I know a few of them, but you, you mentioned that. I mean, they, they had lost 14 straight games in Gainesville, hadn't won there since 95. Uh, that was, of course, the team that, that went back to the national championship game and lost to UCLA back when Corliss Williams and Scotty Thurman and those guys were still playing. Uh, so that it's it's been a while. Uh, none of the current players were alive. I mean, personally, I was only I wasn't even one year old yet. Um, so it, it has been a long time. But also the the win made it was Arkansas's fifth win on the road in SEC play. Uh, they are now guaranteed, even if they lose to Tennessee in the regular season finale in Knoxville, they're guaranteed to finish with a winning record on the road in SEC play uh, for the second straight year. Uh, the 25 years before that, they had done that exactly twice. So they've done it in back-to-back years after doing it that many times in 25 years. Uh, pretty incredible that this team has had so much success on the road. Of course, it, I mean, it helps that, you know, a couple of those wins were Georgia and Missouri, two of the worst teams in the SEC. But, I mean, you also beat uh, Florida, which you, you just don't have very much success there. Uh, and I'm as blanking on the other ones that they, they, they've won and they've been close. I mean, they almost beat Alabama. Uh, they almost beat Texas A&M earlier in the season. So uh, it is just remarkable the success that they have had on the road this year. Uh, and, you know, not just, you know, on the road, but they've also, have, of course, have the massive home court advantage of Bud Walton Arena. But to have the success away from home has to give you a lot of reason for excitement for the mar- uh, for postseason because obviously you're not going to be playing the NCAA tournament in Bud Walton Arena. Yeah. So the thing about this game was, and you kind of mentioned, you know, it was a close game at Alabama. This was a close game for for basically the entire second half. I mean, at one point, Arkansas is down 62 to 56 after Castleton hits a makes a three point play, and then Arkansas comes back and they they eventually get two back to back three pointers from Jalen Williams and Stanley Amude. Um, if you're talking, if you're talking ten games ago, uh, if you say that Jalen Williams and Stanley Amude were the guys who had back-to-back three-pointers to keep Arkansas in the game late in the game, I mean, Hutch, would you believe that? No, I mean, I, I might have believed Amude just because he's a guy that has a proven track record of being able to make shots like that. Uh, but Jalen Williams, I think, is the fact that he can step out and make those shots here and there. He still doesn't shoot them at a high rate. I mean, I even told uh, another one person in the media during the Tennessee game, I said, man, if he could just shoot 30% from three-point range, I think that would make him just an incredible player because then you really have a threat from the outside, and that just really opens things up for, for the offense. So uh, the the fact that those guys knock down the, the clutch shots, and that's the other thing about Jalen is it feels like when he does make the threes, even though it's not a high rate, they have been in just incredibly vital spots. Uh, he had one early in the year that was also late in the game and was a, a really clutch shot. So uh, that is, you know, remarkable. I think it was against LSU. That's the other road game I forgot earlier. Um, but that he just has a knack for that. And I mean, it's just Jalen Williams for him. I mean, that dude is just playing incredible, incredible basketball right now and might be the most important player on the team. You could argue for J.D. Note, of course, but Jayla Williams has been just so, so vital to this run of success they're on. Yeah, that was one thing that he talked about on Wednesday in the in the media availability. He said that his he worked with his dad growing up, and his dad told him, hey, you can't be a traditional big because then you're not really providing much. You have to, you have to provide more than what a traditional big does, and that has led to him being able to step out, make shots like that, prove that he can do more than just, you know, play down low and catch a few bodies, but – Alex, I want to ask you about the defense because Arkansas against Florida, they outscored them 28 to 14 there in the closing stretch. And then, I mean, I'm looking at this. Florida was three of 11 from the floor, missed all six of their um, three point attempts in, in that run where it was 28 to 14. So, this Arkansas defense, Eric Musselman talked on Wednesday about how he's told the team, like, you guys need to be like the 1985 Bears defense. And uh, he said, like, some of the guys kind of looked at him and didn't know what that meant. But I think we all understand how how dominant that defense was. So for Arkansas to try to make their defense like that, you know that it's something special. 
Yeah, and, and you know, against Tennessee, we saw really just lockdown defense the entire game. Here, it wasn't quite that. Florida's still able to get 74 points in this one. But when it mattered, like you said, Arkansas really just locked in, locked down, and, and took over. And when you're able to do that, not only at home, but also on the road, you're going to be a really dangerous team. Like, uh, like Hutch said, going into the postseason, going into the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament, because you don't have that home court advantage. You don't have that same type of energy coming in. Um, the saying is defense travels in almost any sport, and especially in basketball, because it, it makes it tough for other teams. If you're able to have that high motor on defense, you're going to find buckets on offense because you're wearing out the other team. And that's really just how it goes. So, so being able to lock in at the end of the game, even after you've already been fighting for for. 35 minutes and able to, to close out those last five minutes is just so important to going on this run that we've seen. Arkansas in this game, they had five guys score double digit points. That was, that includes, okay, so let's just name them off. JD Note, Stanley Mude, Jalen Williams, Audis Tony and Devonte Davis, uh, Devo Davis having 19 points, including, you know, the, the finisher slam there close to the end where he got the technical, but uh, Hutch, this team, how often have we seen them go really cold offensively and especially really cold from three? And they're not a high-volume three-point shooting team, but it seems like they they can make the shots when they need to make the shots. It, it really feels like this team in the second half, if they need a bucket, they can go get a bucket. And I don't know if that's really been the case, um, especially earlier in the season, but in years past for Arkansas. Yeah, it seems like this team is developing kind of a killer instinct late in games whenever they really need to. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, you know, for example, I think I mentioned this in our, our game thread during the Florida game. You know, there it was a tight game, I think under four media timeout. There was three-something left, and I was just like, man, I, I think we all know how this game's going to turn out because we've seen so many of those kind of games go Florida's way in Gainesville. Uh but this team didn't let that happen. I mean, they just made clutch shot after clutch shot. You know, I think JD Note had that, you know, sidestep, uh, pump fake sidestep three uh, from the left wing with a, just over a minute left to put up Arkansas by four. That was kind of the dagger. Um, and then they also, you know, just, you know, continued to, to knock down free throws. Uh, I think they shot like 85% from the free throw line in that game. Uh, so it just kind of shows this team just has a really – good you know finishing mentality uh that that they generally pull out these close games more than they don't all right before before we wrap it up and uh hit hit the break and head into the next segment hutch i do want to ask you real quick the turnovers. so arkansas in this game they had six turnovers we know turnovers were a big issue early in the season they've kind of cleaned it up a little bit but this was a florida team that was forcing a lot of turnovers i believe you wrote that they were one of the they're forcing one of the top numbers of turnovers in the nation and Arkansas only does it six times. They're really starting to play basketball smart. They're starting to make better passes. And I mean, I guess it all starts with the guards. you got Devo Davis who was turning it over at a high rate and you look at it, he didn't turn over the ball in this game. Uh, let's see, Adis Tony led the team with two turnovers and then nobody else had more than one. So that has really improved, hasn't it? I remember some episodes of this podcast early on, like really early in the season where we were like, man, do they have a point guard? Like they, they've got three guys that are trying to play that. And it just didn't seem like any of them were really working out. Um, there were times where uh, Devo Davis and Chris likes both were just like a walking turnover. I, mean, I think it was maybe the Vanderbilt game or something where Devo played like eight minutes and had like three turnovers. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was just, giving it to the other team uh and yet here we are a month and a half later and they're only committing six turnovers in a road game at florida uh, against a team i think that was i think forcing about 15 point something turnovers a game so you know less than half of what they usually do uh, that's just phenomenal development that's phenomenal guys accepting their roles and Devo Davis was a guy that, that probably handled the ball more than he usually does in that game. Uh, Eric Mosman mentioned it after the game that they really wanted to get out and transition more. And I think we all remember Devo last year. That was something he did well in. 
Uh, he would he would grab the ball, you know, on one end of the floor and take it coast to coast and get to the rim and either finish with a layup or get fouled and go to the free throw line. Just a really really nice development for Arkansas that they've got guys that can take care of the ball, distribute, uh, really nice passes. Even if it doesn't always result in assists, you know, in in the stat sheet, uh, they they do pass really well, and and that's just kind of kind of shows as I think Alex said earlier that this team seems to just have a really good energy and and really good kind of uh togetherness on the floor right now before we wrap up i want to ask you another question hutch you you mentioned that word development a lot so eric musselman talks a lot in the press conferences about like uh weird things that they do in practice most recently it's kind of been jd note with the towel over his head so he's not getting as many uh fouls trying to you know pick a steal in there but i want to ask you about the development like because they, they had all those early season turnovers, and you know they've been working on it in practice, and I'm sure they've been doing the craziest drills that we couldn't even draw up ourselves. It's just like little Eric Musselman things and his staff things. How key is that for this team? Because not only does that help them in practice because they're getting it from the coaches, but I feel like they kind of pick up that work ethic from the coaches who are, you know, they're in there day in, day out, trying to figure out how can we get better, how can we get better, and then You've heard from guys like Chris Slice, guys like Jalen Williams, who've been staying late after practice, trying to work harder, get better. And so I, I think it's translating from the coaches to the players. But I don't know. I just want to hear from you. How key is the development? And it all starts with the coaches. Yeah, you mentioned those drills, and, and he does have some unique ones. And the thing that I find most impressive is that he tells us what the drills are and how, okay, this is going to is designed to help player X get better at this area of his game. And almost every single time it's worked. I mean, you look, he, he talked about how Tennessee is one of the best uh, teams in terms of forcing turnovers. They like to the jump passing lanes. They like to do things like that. And they, they did some drills that he said were kind of like some YMCA, you know, churchly type drills where you're just, you know, stepping into the past and, and doing just really basic stuff like that. And I think they had a low turnover number against the volunteers as well. Uh, you talk about J.D. Note, he was getting really, really bad about, you know, getting cheap fouls from just reaching in and uh, picking up fouls and getting in foul trouble and having to sit for large stretches of game time. And what does he do against Florida? He goes the entire game without committing a single foul. Uh, so that kind of shows you that these things are, are working. Uh, we saw it last year with Moses Moody. He really struggled early in the year uh, finishing at the rim. And they did some uh, drills where you, uh, you're getting hit on uh, with bags and stuff like that as they uh, try to finish in practice. And sure enough, he became a really good finisher at the rim last year. So these drills work. And Eric Mosman, you got to give him a lot of credit for figuring out exactly what buttons to push to make guys improve. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this segment up. And then up next, we're going to look at the team a little closer. And then we're definitely going to preview that big Kentucky game on Saturday in Bud Walton Arena here on the Hog Beat Hour. You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Back here on the Hog Beat Hour, Mason Choate, uh, Andrew Hutchinson, and Alex Trader with you. We're the Hog Beat crew. Go check out HogBeat.com for all of the information on Arkansas athletics that you need. Uh, covering Arkansas basketball, Arkansas football, Arkansas baseball better than anybody. So go check it out. If you're a student, Hutch has a deal to tell you about. Go ahead and tell them. Yeah, as always, uh, if you're a student in at any college in, I guess, the world, but in the country, uh, if you got a .edu email address, you can hit me up, and I'll get you your first year of Hogbeat for just $11.95. That's usually $100. You're basically getting it for $12 uh that's basically 88 percent off so it's a heck of a deal you just gotta shoot me an email at andrew hutchinson 413 at gmail.com and i will uh, get you set up all right well this segment we're going to be talking about arkansas versus kentucky the big matchup in bud walton arena this saturday so let's let's just start off so a lot of what we focused on in the press conference on wednesday was Jalen Williams versus Oscar Shibway. How is Arkansas going to shut him down? Because he's averaging what Hutch you said, like sixteen and fifteen. I mean, this is it's another it's another situation where Arkansas is 
going to have to try to find a way to shut down the opposing team's best player. But this is a guy where it's like, how much can you actually do? And on top of that, they've also got a couple other really good players. I mean, you shut him down. You've got a guy that's shooting 45% from three-point range. You've got a couple of dynamic point guards. I mean, they just have a really deep team, really talented team. I mean, there's a reason they're top 10 in the country. So it is an incredible challenge. And Oscar Shibway, I mean, he's right there. I mean, he's, he's been talked about as potentially the national player of the year. Uh, and if you're averaging 16 and 15, that's just, that's just stupid. I mean, that, that is incredible numbers. I, I don't know if I remember any college basketball player in recent memory averaging that kind of stuff. So uh, it, it's going to be tough. You know, he's a guy that's really good uh, at uh, running the floor. That's something that uh, Jalen Williams and, and Eric Melsman both made sure to mention on, on Wednesday. Uh, very athletic. It's not like he's like a, you know, Walker Kessler, for example, who put up incredible numbers for Auburn in the Arkansas game. Uh, he was a seven footer. Uh, I don't think Oscar Shibway is quite that tall. Uh, he is six foot nine, 255. Uh, so he, he's just kind of a, a big body that, that knows how to use it. And so a really, really tough challenge for Arkansas. And, and, and I, everyone's talking about it's, it's going to be Oscar Shibway versus Jalen Williams. But uh, the first thing Eric Mussman said today or on Wednesday was this is a a team deal like they they're going to use all five guys on the floor in some shape form or fashion uh to try to slow him down so it's not just going to be on Jalen uh but of course Jalen's going to be a big part of that as well being Arkansas's you know big man and a guy that's averaging a double double in SEC play himself well, we know that the atmosphere is just – it's going to be crazy in Bud Walton. I assume that it's going to be close to the level of the Auburn game, especially because it's going to be a Saturday, um, a little bit better than 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night for some people. Uh, but I, this is a Kentucky team that if, if you just look up and down their schedule, uh, I mean, they've played quality opponents, but it seems like – I mean, they have a loss to Duke. They have a loss to Tennessee – or wait, yeah, loss to Tennessee – um, lost to Auburn. So, like, I mean, Arkansas, they beat Auburn. They beat Tennessee. So, Alex, you you get Kentucky, and, you know, you're confident that Arkansas can play competitive against just about anybody. But not only are you getting Kentucky, but you're getting Kentucky in your place where you've taken down the big-time opponents like your Auburns and your Tennessees. Yeah, uh, I, I've been saying it for the last couple of years, but one of the best sporting events I've ever been to live was that 2019 uh, game where Kentucky came to Arkansas and the Hogs were go, starting to pull ahead and uh, and Coach Cal got himself ejected and it kind of flipped the script there a little bit. Um, but that was the loudest any, any atmosphere I had been in uh, live as a fan. And, and I'm expecting similar things this year. You know, you've got a really talented Arkansas team that's just been – really dominant lately, beating top opponents, beating bad opponents by a lot, not really leaving much up to question uh, in, in terms of how these games are going. I, I think this is going to be an insane atmosphere, and I think that it's definitely going to help having having a team that's this talented at home um, when you've been able to do what you did with the whiteout, with the red out. Um, and there's always going to be something coming or the fans are always going to be coming up with something. I'm expecting this to be a, a pretty loud one. Um, kind of, you know, I, you don't want to compare it to that Texas game that, that was uh, there for the, the football team earlier this year. But that same kind of atmosphere where you've got a team that really the fans don't like um, and it's a, a nationally hyped up game that you've been kind of gearing yourself up for all year. This is this is one that you circled as soon as the schedule came out, like, hey, I need to go to this game. I need to take off work to be able to make it to this. Yeah, Kentucky always does that. Whoever they're playing, no matter what, I mean, Kentucky's going to draw a crowd. But it, let's kind of get away from that. And I, I want to go back to something Hutch was talking about earlier. You were talking about Devontae Davis and how earlier in the year there was like a, a stretch in a game where I think you said the Vanderbilt game where it was like eight minutes, three turnovers. And what we've seen is we've seen him go kind of back to the guy that he was last year. And Eric Mussman said that. I'm going to read a quote here he said he's shooting the ball with more confidence his game is really uh simulating what he did last year with success he's defending at a high level and I think offensively he's playing with as much confidence as he has the past two years so I mean that's really good for Arkansas because how badly have they needed one of those guards to come off the bench and pr provide something offensively 
just provide something at all because it seemed like for a couple games there, they they were doing more bad than they were doing good, Hutch. Yeah, I mean, we saw a brief kind of moment where Chris Likes looked like he could be that guy, uh, but I always wondered, like, is this is this sustainable? Now what we're seeing with Devo, I think it is sustainable because we saw what he did at the end of last season, uh, and I think if he can if he can sustain this level of play, it's going to be huge for Arkansas. I mean, the the most important part of that quote you read is is the very end where he's just playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, that a confident Devo is a good Devo for Arkansas and a guy that's having a lot of fun playing with emotion. I mean, you mentioned earlier the technical to end the the Florida game. He, he went up for a dunk and slapped the backboard. Nineteen seconds left. That's that's an automatic T. I was kind of curious to see how, how Eric Musselman would react to that. And, you know, in the post game, he said, you know, Hey, I'm cool with it. He's an emotional guy. I'm an emotional guy. I'll live with it. Cause we, you know, we had already pretty much put the game away. So that kind of shows you there that that Mus is, is comfortable with him playing that way with that emotion. Cause that's whenever he's at his best. And if he can continue that through these last three regular season games into the sec and NCAA tournaments, uh, Arkansas could be playing for a while. I'm curious, this is a question that I've, I've kind of been, you know, asking myself in my head, I guess, but this is, this is a team that early in SEC play, of course, everybody knew they were struggling, everybody was doubting them. Uh, you know, you had, you had your people who still held, held hope, but this is, you looked at them and you're like, okay, they might make it to the NCAA tournament, but they're not last year's Elite Eight team. But now you're looking at Arkansas, and I, I don't know, I mean, they're 22 and six, 11 and four in SEC play. You got a good shot at taking down another top 10 team in your place on Saturday. If Arkansas beats Kentucky, you're looking at a team that's 23 and six. You're 12 and four in SEC play. Uh, you, you, I mean, like, of course, you, you got LSU and Tennessee, two talented teams, but they're starting to look like a team that, you know, you just mentioned it, Hutch. There's a chance they could go deep in postseason play, but. I guess I'll just ask you, Hutch, like, are you at the point now where you're like second guessing, like this team can actually like go places? Yeah, it's kind of been a, a slow developing thing where uh, a month and a half ago, I didn't think they were going to make the NCAA tournament. I was telling people like, oh, I can't wait to see who they match up with in the first round of the NIT. Uh, I think that was after the Vanderbilt loss. I was saying that. Uh, but then I started thinking, okay, they've kind of righted the ship. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. Yippee. You know, that's, it's going to be a fun trip for one weekend and you know, that's going to be it. Now, as they keep beating really good teams, I mean, I know Florida isn't, you know, such a, a super sexy win, but it's a, it's a road win over a team that has had your number over the years. You start thinking like, man, this, this team could make a run to the second week of the NCAA tournament again. And once you make it past the first weekend, you've got a chance. I mean, you've given yourself a chance. And at that point, it's all about matchups. And that's kind of what I'm, I've started to think is like, this team could really, you know, make a run. And, and that's that it, not what I expected. I thought this would be a team, you know, even before the season, like, you know, maybe they could maybe, but I really thought if they just made the NCAA tournament, I think Jackson Collier, our, our basketball expert at Hogbeat uh, wrote this in a story is that, you know, if they could just make the NCAA tournament, that would be a, a good step in the right direction because it's kind of that, that gap year. Yes. You had Moses Moody and everybody in that group last year. And then you've got Nick Smith, Jordan Walsh, and that group coming in next year. That's kind of the year everyone's targeted as like, Oh, could Arkansas make it back to the final four? And yet here's this team perfectly capable of not only making the NCAA tournament, but maybe making it back to the sweet 16 or elite eight. Yeah. I mean, you, you said gap year and then, you know, I'm automatically like, well, they've just won 12 of 13 in conference play. So if this is what gap years are going to be like, then Eric Musselman, I mean, goodness gracious. And then you look at next year, like you mentioned, I, I don't know. I, I, I'll ask this to Alex and then Hutch, you can go after him. Moving forward, what is, what is the thing that worries you about this team? Because we could sit here and we can talk about all the things that they're doing right, all the things that they're doing good. But we also have to talk about, like, what do we see that could be the Achilles heel for this team? And I'll just ask you, Alex, what do you think it could be? 
Yeah, you know, usually with these hot streaks, uh, a lot of them come on the heels of catching fire from from three, catching fire from the field on the offensive side of the ball. Fortunately for the Razorbacks, that isn't necessarily the case. You're still just shooting a lot better than you did earlier in the year. You're making free throws, which is a huge concern earlier in the year. But it's coming on the heels of great defensive performances, great defensive effort. Really, I mean, the only thing that that I think can can get to this team is riding too high. It's a really energetic team. It's a team that's built off of emotion, like we've been talking about, like with Devo, like with with what Musk said. Um, You never want to get too high and you never want to get too low uh, in your best or your worst time. So I think uh, having that neutral side environment could really actually benefit the Hogs, but it could hurt them uh, if you're not able to see that home crowd juicing you up and see see all the, the positives going on to bring you back into a game if you start to get behind. Yeah, that that reminds me, uh, uh, the riding too high reminds me of a quote that Dave Van Horn had this week. He said he was kind of talking about last year's SEC tournament, how the team was doing so good. And he said going into the SEC tournament, he kind of wanted them to lose a game, like because they needed to experience that loss, you know, come back down to earth. I think Arkansas had that against Alabama, but it's like now you're on another win streak. How long is that going to last? But Hutch, go ahead and answer that same question. I just wanted to add that in there. Yeah, I think the the one thing that kind of would scare me is if Jalen Williams gets in early foul trouble in a game or something like that, or maybe J.D. Note, although they've shown that they can survive without J.D. Note. I don't know if they could survive without Jalen Williams. There, there were really tough stretches against Florida where he was out of the game and, and they didn't play well. I mean, I think Jalen finished uh, plus 15 and Arkansas only won by eight. So that shows you that when he was off the floor, they were outscored by seven and he wasn't off the floor for a ton of time. So uh, if he gets in early foul trouble, I think then things could unravel and it would, would not bode well for Arkansas. So you got to avoid that. Luckily for the Razorbacks, Jalen is a really high basketball IQ guy and he doesn't typically get into foul trouble. That was what was so uncharacteristic about the Florida game, uh, especially that second foul he picked up with like six seconds left in the first half. Uh, you know, 90 feet away from the basket. Uh, that was that was very unusual. But if, if he can play smart and avoid foul trouble and all the other guys can avoid foul trouble, I think they're going to be just fine uh, and give themselves a chance at least. But if, if, they, if that doesn't happen, I think that could be the thing that, that kind of does them in. All right. Well, Hutch, before we wrap up this segment, just I, I posed this question on Twitter earlier this week and everybody gave me their opinion. But uh, and this was before the Florida game. I said, next four games, here's the four games. What's Arkansas's record? A lot of people predicted 4-0 and and 3-1. and I think that would, those were more common than 2-2, and 1-3, and 0-4. Oh so uh, now you're sitting at three games left. You got Kentucky on Saturday. Then you have LSU next Wednesday at home. So you got two straight home games. And then they go to uh, Knoxville to close out the season against Tennessee. Hutch, what do you think their record is going to be over these last three games? Oh, man, that's that's a tough one. I think two and one would be really, really good because that means you probably split the Kentucky and Tennessee games. Uh, you'd like to think you can beat LSU at home, although it's probably going to be tougher than when you beat them on the road because they do have uh, their point guard back, Pinson. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think two and one would be really good one and two would be okay because then you're talking about you know a two and two finish you know from the, those last four games uh, I probably would have said that would have been perfectly fine uh, but anything worse than that then you're probably like oh that that's you don't feel too good you like to see them win some games in the SEC tournament to kind of get their mojo back but I think two and one would be a really really good finish for them. Alex do you uh, do you have any differing opinion there? Uh, no, I, I think two and one is also fair. I do, however, think, you know, I, I think this Kentucky game is very, very winnable for this team. Um, I would be more concerned uh, if, if this team's able to win Saturday, how are you going to be able to continue that momentum? We've seen them do it a couple times uh, after that big Auburn win, after that big um, Tennessee win, but it, it continuously winning these games and getting so high um, can make it a little bit difficult to keep that going, especially for a team like LSU that, LSU 
that has been struggling since their hot start uh, at the beginning of this year. And I think Tennessee is a tough game in Knoxville, especially after what you were able to do to them uh, in Bud Walton. You're probably not going to hold them to 40, 45 points again. Um, so that that could be a, a, an interesting one as well. I'm curious what the stat would be on teams – in the game after they beat Kentucky. Now, I'm not saying Arkansas is going to beat Kentucky, but I'm Hutch, you had the stat in your story about teams that beat Auburn this year, all three of them. So it was UConn, Arkansas, Florida now. All three of them lost the next game. So I don't know. It just popped in my head. But um, that would be something to look into. Anyways, up next, we're going to talk some Razorback football, catch you up on what is going on with them, and then we'll finish the hog beat hour talking some Arkansas baseball. And uh, we'll get to all of that next. You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Back here on the Hog Beat Hour, the Hog Beat crew with you. That is myself, Mason Choate, Andrew Hutchinson, and Alex Trader. Guys, we're going to talk a little bit of football right now. Um, not a lot going on, but we do know that spring practice is starting up here in a few weeks. So that's on March 13th. And Hutch, you've started a little series over at hogbeat.com. Uh, go check it out. That's H-A-W-G-B-E-A-T.com. Uh, you're doing burning questions for spring ball. You're previewing uh, your, your most recent one was who's going to be the starting left tackle for Arkansas. Uh, maybe give us an inside look into that and maybe some more stuff you got coming. Yeah, it's uh, crazy that we're already talking about spring ball. It feels like they just beat Penn State uh, in the Outback Bowl, but here we are. Uh, but yeah, the, the the burning question series, just kind of some tough topics that are kind of the, the biggest questions facing Arkansas entering these 15 practices. And to me, the first thing that came to my mind was, was that left tackle spot because they do return four of their five starting offensive linemen from this past season but they do lose Myron Cunningham who played almost every snap for you at left tackle. Who the heck is going to be that guy? Cause there wasn't really like a, a set backup that was okay. This guy's clearly the number two. Like if, if, if Myron goes down with an injury, this guy is definitely who fills in for him. There was a lot of uncertainty there and there still is in my mind. I, I would love to get to talk to Sam Pittman. Hopefully we get to talk to him soon. And that's going to be one of the things I ask him is who all are you looking at there? Because They've got some options. I mean, maybe you could move Dalton Wagner over from the right side. I don't know if they would do that because I think he was pretty solid on the right side. Uh, do you move Brady Latham from guard to tackle? They did that a little bit. He played some right tackle during the season. Could he play left tackle? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, could it be one of those young uh, former four-star recruits that they're really high on, you know, Tykes Crawford and Jalen St. John? Uh, those guys are – are guys that Sam Pittman really views as guards moving forward, but they've also practiced a lot at tackle. Um, I mean, there's so many options there that that would make sense, but we just don't know who that's going to be. And I'm sure they're going to look at multiple different guys and multiple different combinations, even with the four guys they got coming back. Well, I think if it's anything related to offensive line, that's really something that you don't need to worry about, especially with the guy that you have as the head coach and even Cody Kennedy. I mean, we know that we know now that he's, he's a very good offensive line coach. So uh, for those of you who just love football content and you just, you're not a big baseball guy or basketball guy, you can subscribe to hogbeat.com, get up on the message board on the trough and you can, you can talk football with the other guys. Cause there's plenty of people on the, on the message board that are dying for some football talk. And speaking of football talk, Alex, on Wednesday you had your uh, linebacker big board come out for the 2023 class. Uh, talk about that. And then also, I mean, you, you have now created a big board home where you can find all of your big boards. Yeah, and you're going to be able to find that on the trough, like you mentioned, um, for subscribers. It's, it's where you can go in, talk about whatever's going on. I'll, I'll, I'll post in there whenever there's updates to the big boards. Um, but this week we did go with the linebackers in our series. So we've still got you know, corners, safeties, uh, athletes, and then special team guys still to work through. But um, this was a, a bigger list than I thought um, when you combine the inside and outside linebackers. A couple big targets. Tackett Curtis is one that Hutch was able to go see in, in uh, Louisiana earlier this year or last football season um, and, and got to talk to him. There are some good stories up about him on Hogbeat. Um, really, 
a top 50 player. I think he's ranked 41 in uh, in Rivals 100. And he's got legitimate interest in the Hogs, values the loyalty of them coming out to see him, even when he was hurt, reciprocated with a visit. He's been on the Hill a couple of times. Um, him, he's, he's a guy to keep an eye on, definitely as a top target for the staff, as well as guys like Carmelo Overton and, and then Troy Ford Jr., who you know recently said that UCF is his number one school, but Arkansas is in that top five mix. There's a lot going on at that linebacker position. You lose three guys or two guys, and then you'll be losing bumper pool after this season, who, who have really anchored that position for the Hogs. Um, and these are some guys who might be able to help fill that question mark as well as um, one who's already committed Everett Rousseau out of out of Georgia. I believe it's Cedar Grove. So continuing that pipeline um, ha- has been a big help for that Razorback uh, recruiting. Well, there's not really much else to talk about when it comes to football, but Hutch, with spring ball right around the corner, I just want to ask you, like, give us a season prediction of w- what you think Arkansas's record is going to be. I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't answer that question. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was going to say, man, we don't even know what the depth chart looks like yet. Uh, ask me after spring ball, and I might be able to give you a better answer. Okay. I mean, you know people eat that stuff up. So if you gave a season prediction right now, I mean, that might be the most popular story on the message board. So How about this? 12-0 and 0, right there. Boom. Oh, I'm going to clip that, and I'm going to post it before the season, and then you're going to get roasted. So – Anyway, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, last year before or after spring ball, I gave an eight and four prediction for the regular season. So, you know, keep keep an eye out on on whatever I have to say. Uh, I'm gonna have to see receipts on that because I don't remember that. Um, go ahead. I, I think it was for for a different platform. Might have been my website. It might have been over at another one. Oh, maybe the platform inside of your head that you just didn't. No, I'll I'll, I'll find I'll find the receipts and send them. Over. Okay. All right, well, that wraps up football talk. Up next, we're going to have uh, Hutch and I, we're going to talk some Arkansas baseball, uh, get you set for the Round Rock Classic, and then we will get you on your way here on the Hog Beat Hour. You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on hitthatline.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hog Beat Hour. Uh, just myself and Andrew Hutchinson this segment talking some Razorback baseball. So opening weekend has come and gone. Arkansas went 2-1 and one against Illinois State, uh, dropped the Friday night game, the opening day game. It was a little bit of a shocker, did not see that one coming. But then, as Dave Van Horn said after that game, saying, you know, he thought they would bounce back. They did Saturday and Sunday with two wins. And uh, now they're getting set. I guess they're in Round Rock now. So, uh as we're recording this there in Round Rock. But let's go back to opening weekend, Hutch. Uh, just let's start with Friday because Arkansas did not lose the game on the mound, that's for sure. Connor Nolan did his job. Uh, if, you, if you want to read more about that, I wrote a story. And then Hutch, of course, always has his key takeaways. But it, it was not a game lost on the mound. It was lost at the plate for Arkansas. 100%. I think they only gave up three runs the entire game. If, if you would have told me before before the hand that, that Illinois State would score three runs, I said, okay, Arkansas probably won, you know, eight to three or something like that. Uh, that just didn't happen. Arkansas couldn't get the clutch hit. Uh, their only runs came on home runs and a span of three batters uh, in the middle innings there. So uh, just a really disappointing, you know, performance at, at the plate really all weekend, if we want to be honest, but especially that first game. 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, just couldn't get anything going offensively, uh, and it resulted in your first season opening loss since 1994. Which some people were like okay with because it's a good omen for the basketball team, but if if you look back at the Friday night game, though, the big thing, uh, the big takeaway for most people was 1 through 5 in the lineup went 0 for 17. One through five in the lineup, 0 for 17. I mean, are you ever going to win a game when that happens? Probably not, especially when you're one through five is what Arkansas's one through five is. And we know that the back – I'm not saying the back end of the lineup is bad because Arkansas's lineup is just loaded up and down. But you, you can't have five guys in the lineup go 0 for 17. Yeah, that was, that was really surprising because a lot of those guys have been swinging the bat really, really well. I mean – Dave Van Horn mentioned specifically Jace Borfin, the, the transfer from Oklahoma. 
he had been swinging the bat really, really well. And he goes over for the weekends and uh, you know, several, I mean, Caden Wallace had been just absolutely tearing the cover off uh, in the scrimmages that we saw and he goes over. And I mean, yeah, he made some good contact and he had one that probably had it not been for the wind uh, probably would have gone out of the, the park for a home run, but still, I think he went over four and, uh, to, to see the top of the lineup that has is so talented. I mean, Peyton Stovall, uh, Robert Moore, preseason All-American, all of those guys went hitless. And uh, I think Dave said after the game, I think his quote was something along the lines of, I, is, is, I, don't, I hope I don't see all those zeros ever again. And I would be very, very surprised if Arkansas has a game like that the rest of the season. It was, it was interesting because it, it was almost exactly how they ended the year last year. It, the pitching was fine and you just couldn't hit. So it was a little scary. Like it's kind of like every time you see a foul ball popped up over to the first baseline, it's like, oh my goodness, here we go again. But um, Saturday, they bounced back in Hagen Smith, six innings, gave up five hits, but no runs, no earned runs, five strikeouts and a walk. Hagen Smith, Dave Van Horn kind of threw a little nugget in there uh, Tuesday, where, and you, you and I talked about it afterwards. He said, sometimes, your Saturday guy is the guy that you're expecting to be the ace. Now, I'm not saying that that's what Dave Van Horn was saying about Hagen Smith, but Hagen Smith looked like he could be an ace on Saturday against Illinois State. I think most people would agree that Hagen Smith probably has the best like pro potential out of out of the two you know first two starters. I mean, Connor Nolan, I think probably gets a bad rap from some fans. I mean, he, I think he's a very, very good college pitcher and I think he's going to get a shot at pro ball and maybe he does something, but in terms of prospect ranking, like Connor Nolan's not going to be a first round pick. I mean, maybe he turns into that and that's not an insult by, to Connor Nolan in the, in the slightest, but Hagen Smith, he's a guy that in a couple of years, he could hear his name called in the first round of the MLB draft, uh, just like Jackson Wiggins in game three, who we'll talk about, but, uh, he's got that potential, really good left-hand, left-handed arm. Plus, he's a true freshman going out there on his first start and going six innings. I was very, that was probably the thing that surprised me the most. Not that he gave up zero runs or, or any of that. It was that he didn't, that he went six innings. That, that's a really long outing. I think he threw like 77 pitches, something like that. That's a long first outing on opening weekend under Dave Van Horn. And he did it as a true freshman. That, that to me was the most incredible part of that start. Yeah, a lot to look forward to with Smith this season. Uh, and, I mean, he's going to start against Stanford on Saturday in Round Rock. So, uh, But let's let's keep this going because we don't have a lot of time. I, I do want to mention on Saturday, your big names did get it going at the plate a little bit. So, Robert Moore, he had, he had two hits. Um, let's see how many. He had two hits, three RBI. And then Caden Wallace had two hits. And then Michael Turner, he also had two hits. So, um Going to uh, going to Sunday's game. So the one pitcher that you, you mentioned, Connor Nolan, he gets a bad rap, but you still expected stuff from him. You expected him to do a good job. Jackson Wiggins, the guy that you, you were probably least confident about in the three starters. And then Wiggins goes out, throws five innings. He got in trouble quite a bit. He got hit around, but he got out of jams. And that's one thing that he didn't do last year. And he did it on Sunday against Illinois State. So five innings, gave up five hits, but he only allowed one uh, one run and it was earned and then he struck out five and I mean his velocity was there he had he had some off-speed stuff going but the biggest thing as I mentioned he was getting out of jams getting out of trouble and keeping himself going yeah again he went five innings that that's more than he went in any outing last year I think his longest was three and two-thirds and I believe that was in the SEC tournament so uh, for him to make it through five innings was huge for Arkansas yeah, he got to hit around a little bit more than you would like, but being able to mentally work through those jams, we've seen that with pitchers in the past, you know, guys that hadn't been able to do that, or maybe they weren't able to do it early in their career, and then they were later. Like Isaiah Campbell comes to mind uh, on that 2018 team. He was that game three starter, and he just couldn't quite work through those jams, and things would unravel for him very quickly. And then he comes back the next year and he's the ace. Uh, maybe that's something that could develop for Jackson Wiggins. Uh, but the fact that he made it through five innings on, on opening weekend was, to me, a, a, another really, really good development for Arkansas. And then, uh, I mean, maybe the biggest story of the day was Cole Ramage going four innings and getting a save 
only allowing two hits, had six strikeouts, gave up an earned run. It was on a home run. But, man, it looked really good, that off-speed pitch. Um, of course, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to make any comparisons on this podcast, Andrew Hutchinson. But Cole Ramage looked good in a four-inning uh, in a four inning relief and then got to save there. I mean, if you want to know more about that, we, we talked to Zebulon Vermillion on this week's edition of the Diamond Hawks podcast, asked him about Cole Ramage. The two of them are close. So if you want to hear more about that, go listen to that. But Hutch, what do you think of Cole Ramage? Man, it's hard not to be impressed because not only did he go four innings on Sunday, but he also threw one and a third innings, I believe, on, on Friday. Uh, so he's a guy that uh, could pitch twice in a weekend and come back and, and throw a lot of pitches. Um, again, we don't want to make comparisons or anything, but it could be kind of a similar role as what Kevin Copps had last year. I don't expect him to go four innings on Friday and four innings on Sunday uh, and without allowing a single run, but he's a guy that could pitch twice and, and pitch in really big situations, whether it be, you know, save opportunities or just middle innings. Uh, he has really developed and gotten a lot better because he's a guy that he's a super senior. This is his fifth year. He would not be able to play college baseball in normal situations, but the COVID years changed things. And it looks like he's really taken advantage of, uh, you know, that extra year. I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. At the plate, the highly touted freshman, Peyton Stovall, he finally got a hit on Sunday. He actually got two of them. Uh, And then you you look down the lineup. So Robert Moore, two more hits. Brady Slavens moves to the DH after playing right field the first two days. Uh, didn't look, I mean, he, let's just say it. He didn't look like an all-star in right field, but he, he looked a little bit better at DH went three for three. So I think that we might see Slavin's just stick in that DH slot. And then we'll see the outfield of, uh, Gregory Borfin and Lanzilli and then mix Webb in there, um, a little bit. Is that, I mean, I'm assuming that you believe that as well, Hutch. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I, I think Dave Van Horn is still kind of figuring that out. You know, he mentioned in his uh, midweek availability this this week that he he kind of has a, a the defensive you know the best defensive alignment. He has the best offensive alignment, uh, and it's just a matter of what he really is looking for on any particular day. I mean, uh, if if you're needing a game where you, you need to score a lot of runs, like it's game three and you don't have a lot of pitching, and you know you're going to need to score a lot to win, maybe you go with the offensive lineup, or if it's a uh, Friday, and you know it's going to be runs at a premium. Maybe you go with the defensive lineup. I, I think Dave Van Horn has a lot of options. I think that's the number one thing right now is he's he's got different alignments, different combinations he can use on any given night. Well, if you're itching for more Arkansas baseball talk, we've got you covered with the Diamond Hogs podcast. Uh, you can find that on the Hogbeat YouTube. You can find that on Hogbeat.com or just wherever you get your podcast, you can find it. Uh, but we just don't have enough time to talk more Arkansas baseball right now. So I will remind you that Round Rock Classic this weekend, each game got moved up. They're all at 4 o'clock now. So you got Indiana 4 o'clock Friday, Stanford 4 o'clock Saturday, Louisiana 4 o'clock Sunday. All of those will be on Flow Baseball. Unfortunately, you got to pay for that. So uh, have fun paying for that. I will be in Round Rock, and I will be watching it. So, uh, Hutch, you're going to have to pay for it, but you're going to get to go to the Kentucky game. So congratulations anyways don't respond to that because we got to go thank you for listening to the hog beat hour uh thank you andrew hutchinson thank you to alex trader and thank you for listening